This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear songs like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go on the stereo. But where? Where can you go to play all those amazing classic arcade games? And then, suddenly, it hits you. Wham! The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. You're listening to No Quarter, a podcast about video arcade games. I like those things. You don't like this one. I don't like this one. No, <laughs> Mike has chosen his favorite game of oh, all time. Oh, no, you're not putting this on me. We've been doing these 1990s games, and when you said, hey, we're going to go back to something old, I got really excited. <laughs> then my hopes got dashed <laughs> when I played this Bad. One. <laughs> oh, anyway, we'll talk about that soon. Everyone, brace yourself. We'll lift our spirits with some, some talk back. Yes, we got talking. People are talking back to us. Um, let's see. What did we get? What did we get? Our here? listeners sass us. We got a bunch of things. Oh, you know what? Let's start with this. We have an announcement of, a, of a, an event coming up. So Mark wrote in to say, "Hey guys, just want to let you know that there will be a retro video gaming convention in Huntington, West Virginia, on August second, from twelve to five p.m. So basically noon to just before dinner." And he says, "This is the first one that we've had in our state, and I'm hoping it is a success. I'm hoping so too, Mark. That's awesome." Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, Rick and I will have a table set up for the Lock is Lit podcast, and we plan on bringing a couple of pins as well. Hoping you guys will mention this on the next show, and mention it, we now have. There's a link over to, uh, well, it's basically facebook.com slash PowerUpRVGC, which would be Retro Video Gaming Convention. Look at me. Look at me deducing, figuring out the code. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, nice try. Um, so anyway, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, and it's coming up on August 2nd, which is just a couple of weeks away, but lots of time to get ready to go there. And, and you should have plenty of time to recover from the hangover from that, uh, just in time to go to the uh, inaugural Arcade Expo in Southern California in January 2015. This is a new Arcade Expo that they're starting up. It's in... Um, let me pull up my iPad here and bang, bang my microphone and fun stuff like that. Um, so this is being held at the museum of pinball facilities in Banning, California. They are renovating it to house 750 plus pinball and video arcade machines. And that's not till January of next year. It's January. What kind of hangover are people going to be getting? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got, you got good things to say about this power up. (laughs) Well, these, these pinball players, man, they, they go crazy. They party hard. (laughs) Um, They're going to have a, a movie night focusing on space, the, you know, in search of lost time, King of arcade uh, video craze and things like that. They already have a schedule of events up. They have workshops, workshops set up uh, and they were, are they going to have a booth at California extreme? So you should check that out. That's that's nice. Pretty hardcore. Cool. Yeah. Uh, mono wheels. We also had people write to us. Or a person. Oh, is that what those things are called? <laughs> yes, those things what we talked about in the, in the last show. The one wheel? The one wheel that goes around you. Yes. Michael, my podcasting buddy Michael, wrote in to say maybe those futuristic mono wheels in Moonwalker aren't that futuristic. And they gave us a link to a site over at douglas-self.com, which is Mono Wheels, the strange story of vehicles with insufficient wheels. <laughs> and he said, my main issue with Moon- the Moonwalker episode is that it resulted in a fit of uncontrollable laughter as you described the depredations of the anatomically enhanced boss <laughs> bot, which he calls the Viagratron. 
Nice, I like that. <laughs> this is periled my commute home as I had to maintain vehicular control under arduous circumstances. That's a lot of syllables, Michael. I barely understood your <laughs> sentence, that's what I'm saying. Um, so I went over to this site, this monowheels uh, thing. Really cool, because I thought there was just like sort of one of these ones. It's all over the place. <laughs> like I was sort of surprised at the number of these that have existed and the number of different like patents of these things. They go back to the 1800s. But um, there's ones that have been done recently in the 2000s, and like so, it's kind of cool to look at the the different designs, the different times they've been used, the d- different ideas people had. Crazy, we just keep coming back. It's like uh, the old video phones; we just keep coming back to this idea, and it's just like seriously not working. So anyway, I liked it. Good link, and we'll have that in the show notes. Uh, also to do with Moonwalker, Leslie wrote in, to, she was talking about a different podcast I'm on, but at the end of that, she she came over here and talked about uh, some No Quarter stuff. She said, I think the reason that Thriller is not in the Moonwalker game is because Michael Jackson didn't actually write it. It was written oh, by yeah. Rod Temperton, so I guess Michael Jackson couldn't just unilaterally grant the rights for use in the game the way he could with the other songs. Temperton also wrote other Michael Jackson songs too, like Rock With You, along with lots of others. Lots and lots of songs for other singers, too. Mostly, he wrote a lot of disco. And I, for one, don't forgive him. (laughs) On the other hand, you guys rock. The Arcade Draft was a really fun show, so I'd welcome you doing another one of those someday. Another very special episode you could do might be arcade games from movies. Either real games in movie scenes, or movies about games, or something like that. You guys are the podcasters. Figure out yourself. Why are you making me do all your work for you? Anyway, keep up the great work. If you're still taking game suggestions, I'll add votes for Shinobi, Battlezone, and Arkanoid. I think all three are probably... If they're not on our list, they should be, is what yeah, I said. Yeah, I like all three of those. I love all three of those, and particularly one of them is, I think, one of my all-time favorite games. So, I love, Arkanoid? Oh, uh, no, but I have a great Arkanoid <laughs> story of playing Arkanoid before taking a trip. So whenever we talk about Arkanoid, I will have a fun story that takes place in the common room of the dorm I was staying in in university. So I, I can't wait. I, I hope you are in, in anticipation of that awesome story. <laughs> so... Um, else we have oh vic sage he mentioned us over on the retroist so i'll have a link to his mention of us he mentioned us so i will link to you so other people can read your mention to us he wrote um just a quick note about xenophobe for the atari 2600 it says a couple of weeks back the no quarter podcast had a special show that was an arcade draft with each of the four participants including mike and carrington picking five of the games they would include in each of their fantasy arcades everything from spy hunter to quadrupong was picked during the show but one of the guests on the show quinn dunkey selected Xenophobe, which is an awesome arcade game to be sure, but what I didn't know until the podcast was that it had been ported to the Atari 2600, and then he includes some screenshots of the 2600 version. Big thanks again to No Quarter Podcast for the heads up on the cartridge, as well as to Atari Age for the images and box art. Make sure you hop on over to give the No Quarter Podcast a listen. If you like classic arcade gaming, you'll not be disappointed. Vic lied. Lied to people. (laughs) Why would you do that to Vic? Why are you being mean? (laughs) No, that was very nice of you. And, and um, I, too, had not known that it had been ported to anything until Quinn was talking about it. So I also learned that on our show. Uh, what else did we get? We got a bunch this week. Oh, Richard. Richard wrote in from Wales to say, in response to the 10 megahertz 68,000 chip in the Michael Jackson game, Carrington had said he thought he probably had had a more powerful home system by that time, except without the dedicated graphics processing. Well, that is probably correct. I think Carrington is slash was a Mac guy. 
That is correct, Richard. I am. Uh, and even the low-powered 2SI and LC, both from 1990, had 20 MHz 030 processors. And a year earlier, the 2CI had come out, and that featured a 16 MHz 030, as did the Mac SE30 from that same year. So only the Macs that came out all the way back before the Macintosh 2 had had processors below 10 MHz, and those would all have been at least four years old by the time Moonwalker had been released. Keep up the great podcasting, and I hope to join you at Kansas Fest someday for all the retro computing and retro arcading fun. Thank you, Richard. I thought I w- it was my sense thinking, I don't think 10 MHz as a, just a regular 68K would be a very fast processor, and, and turns out that it wasn't. Arcade manufacturers are nothing if not cheap. And by that point, the 68,000, the original 68,000 chip was probably fairly inexpensive and Sega could get them, get oodles and oodles of them to stick them in their, their cabinets. Usually when we say bad things about people, if we can mention particular names, they'll later come on the show and get interviewed. So when you say arcade manufacturers are cheap, do you have any particular people you'd like to call cheap so we can line up some interviews? I don't know anybody that worked at Sega at the time, but uh, if you do, I'll call them out. <laughs> if, if you do, write in so we can say that you're cheap. Spread lies about them <laughs> just to get their attention. In Richard's, uh, not really to do with um, arcades, but I'm going to mention anyway because he brought it up in Richard's email. He mentioned two of my all-time favorite Macs, the 2CI and the SE30, I think are both crazily good classic Macs, especially the SE30. That's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, that seems to be very popular among uh, early Mac collectors. Did you ever have one of those? I didn't. No. I, I had a 2CI, but I didn't. I had a SE30, but not when it was new, only subsequently. And I don't have either of them anymore. But the 2CI is still one of the best ones I've ever used. It's such a such a great platform. So I have good. the one right before that, the 2XI, the one that like, you know, that they upgraded into the 2CI and it became, it went from a good machine to a great machine. So I am disappointed that I did, didn't get the great one. And there was the uh, two CX as well. At the yeah, same I think time, those are fairly fun. cheap on, on eBay, though, if I really want one. Yeah, the CI doesn't have the, the cachet that the SE30 does because the SE30 has that toaster Mac shape. So it looks a little more classic. But the two CI has like all the power and everything of the SE30, but with more slots and can run a better monitor. And like you like just I'm now announcing my new vintage Apple <laughs> podcast. Oh, wait, I had one of those. I guess people would say yes, and I wish you would do another episode. Oh, well, too bad, guys. Um, uh, Rex Allison, he wrote in to say, Hi, guys, I have a game suggestion, but it requires two ifs. The first if is if Steve Wozniak shows up this year at Kansas Fest. Everyone's writing in about Kansas Fest. Um, the second if is if you can find a Defender cabinet to play on. The reason for my suggestion is based on a story from one of my coworkers. My coworker, Steve, let's call him the third Steve, worked at Apple during the mid-80s and helped with the development of the Macintosh. Steve remembers that Apple had two cabinets in one of the lobbies, Joust and Defender, and he recounts that Steve Wozniak was always playing Defender. So this seemed a fitting choice. Thanks, Rex. That's a great suggestion. I think there are actually photos uh, on the internet of Woz playing that Defender cabinet. Yeah, in fact, if you, you just type in Wozniak Defender uh, into Google image search, it pops right up. Is he in like a shield? I'm the Wozniak Defender. <laughs> no. Cosplaying. He's, <laughs> he's in a couple of different outfits showing that uh, he was there more than once. So Very cool. Yes, very popular. Well, he likes that. He likes, yeah, there's a bunch of them, but um, yeah, maybe he'll be there this year. I bet you he would play too. We should tell him like when he's over. We should have played last year. When he was there. I, bet I don't know if they have a Defender cabinet. No, but he probably, I bet you he strikes me as a guy who would just like to come out and play with us. We were playing, what did we do last year at Kansas Fest? Galaga. He totally would have played Galaga with us. Yeah, I think he was gone by then, wasn't he? By the time we finally got around. He was just hiding him. from you. He, <laughs> well, he and I were hanging out. We're still best buds. He's over here now. Say hi. He's just waving. 
Yeah, it kept it kept happening. I could see him like around the corner, and, I, and I, people would, oh, he's left, he's gone. Sorry, <laughs> it was that guy in the trench coat in the Segway. Totally different guy. Like, really? Because <laughs> dark glasses. Into his handlers, but not him. <laughs> um, so I think that's it we got for email. Rather, I close my email. Probably, all right, so let's that's talk all I'm about this read. game. Please get over with. I'm I'm so sick of playing. We're recording this later than usual. Um, I didn't play any. I didn't play any extra. No, I'm sick I of stopped. it, and I blame you, Carrington. This week's game, so the, the listeners can join in our fury, is um, a platformer called Springer, and it was by Orca from 1982. I had never heard of it before Mike chose it this week. Nope. <laughs> so, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm not letting that become a thing. So why, just, why, why, <laughs> did, why did you choose it? I didn't. <laughs> See, he's trying to slip it back in there. No, I think this was actually a listener suggestion. I think the listeners are messing with us. I think because we did Story Charlie, they're trying to like just you know get us back, and they're going to just pick back. games and see. <laughs> Let's see if we can make them talk about this. This game is a piece of garbage. I, I'm sorry, listeners, but you're about to hear, hear us. I've got some details, and we can talk about the game. We can talk about the history of it, and the history of the company, and some neat things happened with the developers of this game, and they moved on to some later cool things. But this game itself is absolutely trash. It's this is a terrible game. Yeah, we talked, uh, I think, last year about a game. I can't remember the title, but. Uh, where it felt like they just found some extra sprites lying around in a directory and some sounds, and they thought, well, we'll just kind of Frankenstein all this together and call it a game and get it out of here. And uh, there's, yeah, so you, you play uh, Rabbit, not called Springer, just called Rabbit, and you start at the bottom of the screen. It's a vertical, a vertically oriented game. You start at the bottom, and you're, the idea is you take Springer and you hop up these clouds that float back and forth to get to the top. And in the meanwhile, um, you're picking up rabbit-related things like carrots and chocolate bars and toothbrushes, and it all makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, sure, yes. You pick up sunglasses. <laughs> like, oh, and there's dinosaurs, underground dinosaurs that chase you. On the clouds. Well, first they start as dinosaur eggs, and then they can hatch into a dinosaur that can then evolve into a different sort of dinosaur. But it makes no sense at all, because why are you in the clouds? And the whole point is you're pop hopping back and forth between these cloud platforms, some of which move, like Mike said, and you've got to make your way up to the very top platform in Donkey Kong-type style. So there's a place at the top you can get to and climb up a ladder. And that just leads you up to the sun, because there's a sun sticking out over the top cloud, and you got to get up to this anthropomorphized sun with a big face looking at you. I did like um, that. It was cute. Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, why do you have to get up? So why, are you, yeah, why is the dinosaur in the clouds? But like that's what I don't get. It's the same problem I had with a few different games. I'm trying to avoid the word bubbles, but I'm going to say it, bubbles. <laughs> like, where the nothing scales properly. Like you've got these dinosaurs, which are essentially smaller than the rabbit, and everything's up in clouds. Why is this taking place in clouds? Like you're overthinking this, Carrington. But why couldn't this have been a rabbit lair or something? Like you're trying to make your way up to the and care fun, patch. And we like dinosaurs and we like rabbits. And you so like this game? Is that what you're saying? Game. No, I. I <laughs> you say bring it. Great. Nice try. Nope. Nope. So there's this bird that also flies across the top. There are these um, uh, flame things, which I didn't even know were supposed to be like fireballs until I looked at a poster. Just like five, five minutes before we started recording, um, I looked at the poster. I'm like, oh, those are fire. Okay, but you can kick it. Even though they're fire, you can kick the fire, which is why I didn't think it was fire, because why would you be able to kick the fire? So you got this terrible, I think, terrible control scheme. And it's the same thing I had. A, I had trouble with this exact same control scheme in um, Kangaroo, where you use the joystick to move and you also use that same joystick to jump. So when you press left and right, you walk left and right. But if you press up or down, in this case, you jump up or down. You don't duck like in like in um, a Kangaroo. And then when you go on, ang on the angles, 
then you jump on those angles, either up to either side or down to either side. And it's just not a great control scheme because all the time I'll jump when I don't think I'll jump. I don't jump when I want to jump. Like it really is very laggy on this control scheme. And I think part of it is because the game itself is a bit laggy. And I think part of it is just because that's an inherently bad way to control things. Yeah, I, it was, it was, it's definitely an exercise in frustration, um, you know, to have to... When the challenge becomes fighting, uh, wrestling against a control scheme, that's not a fun game. You know, when when there's a clever puzzle or a tough monster that the, the developers have put in the game, that's what I. Those are the challenges I want to solve. Not how your joystick is not getting me up to the cloud that it needs to be on. I. It's a lot of for me. It was trial and error, and not in the good way because you know I, I pressed the joystick and there'd be kind of a little lag as he's arcing up to the cloud. Oh, just missed it. You know, um, and then I have to watch him fall all the way to the bottom. Um, every, everything about this game just kind of bugged me. It, it, you know, when you, you, there is a button, he, the rabbit kicks when things come at you, you, you can kick them away from you and you can kick the eggs. Um, and the graphic, the, the, the animation is simply the, the rabbit's leg sort of swings out, hits it and then swings back. There's no up and down. It's, it's just suddenly the rabbit's suspended in space while his legs are kicking out. So I completely agree with you about that. I mean, the graphics are, I mean, they're distractingly bad. And just like you had said earlier, it feels like there was just a uh, a mix of sprites lying around. <laughs> let's just It's one of those games. Let's just assemble it into a, a, a game. And it's not that I found the graphics confusing. Like I knew which one was the rabbit and I knew which ones were the, the bad guys. Um, it bothered me though that the scales all off because the, you've got these two little dragon or two different sorts of dragons both of which are way smaller than the rabbit, um, and that doesn't make sense. And then the, the 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 you're on these little clouds, and it also bothers me that when you jump, I think the graphics for the jumping is just as borked as the graphic for the kicking because when your sprite jumps up, it goes you know a fixed number of pixels high, but you can reach a platform that's more than that. So it's hard to judge what you can jump to because you don't actually have to have your sprite go as far as the next cloud to actually make it onto the cloud. So since each level is almost like a, kind of like a little maze, you figure out how to get to the top, to the sun, it, it becomes a bit of a pain because you'll look left and go, well, my sprite can't physically go as far as this gap. Maybe that's okay, maybe it's not. And the only way to know is to, to jump and, and, and try. So you kind of have to memorize the levels. And I found that, I don't know. The whole thing's very slipshod. Yeah, the, the you'd mentioned the the cloud jumping as as the means to get up to the top of of the level, and so some of the platforms are, are fixed, and there's a couple that, uh, like on level one, for example, it moves vertically from the bottom, and then it sort of drifts back down across horizontally, and it can be a very inconsistent experience trying to figure out where it's safe to jump from because you can't fall very far. Um, if he falls too far without landing on another platform, he goes all the way to the bottom and dies and, and you start over. Um, and I, I just found sometimes I could, I, and, and this may be, it may be just because I've already got in the back of my head that this game sucks and, and, <laughs> um, and nothing is matching up, but it felt like depending on, you know, it was a, each, each life. It was a different, it was kind of a crapshoot whether I was going to be able to make the same jump that I made last time. Yeah. And, and partly it's also that jumping mechanic. I don't, I prefer jump button versus just using the joystick. So lots of different elements sort of combined to make it frankly, not a, a pleasurable experience playing the game. It's not very rewarding. 
Yeah, no, it's this is a this is just a a disappointing game. You know, it looks like it might have been fun. They had a, a neat idea to have a rabbit crawl around. You know, you could especially when you have like a floppy bunny rabbit. That's that's always an opportunity for humor in in a game. It should so. be fun, but I think that they. I mean, just the metaphor is all messed up. Like, why are there dragons? Why is it in clouds? Well, like, why are you picking up toothbrushes? Uh, <laughs> the scoring seems to be all over the place too. Like, I would pick up things and. It, it seems in general, picking up carrots gets you more points than the other vegetables. But I never was really clear on what points I would get for one thing. You you pick up eggs or you kick them or whatever. and Maybe you get 300 points. Maybe you get 500 points. Who knows? You kick the dinosaurs. Maybe you get 100. Maybe you get 400. I would pick up fruit and it would be a 1, 200. Sometimes you get 3,000. It's, it's, it's all over the place. The only consistency I saw was with the eggs. And, and that was uh, the longer – it goes before it hatches. So if you kick it right before it hatches, you're going to get the most points. Ah, okay. And I think that's because you're basically risking running right into whatever comes out of the egg instead of getting the points for the egg. So okay, that, that was, makes sense. That was the only consistency that I saw. There's also a bird that flies across the top and, and drops some things. Sometimes it's eggs, sometimes it's other stuff. And weirdly, the bird flies right through the high scores, the, even the layout on the on the screen is a little strange. Where in the top right, you've got the the three current high scores for the game. It's set as a default to be 20,000, 20,000, 20,000. So as long as you get over 20,000, you'll get the first place on, on the game by default. And there's three of those. Like the first highest score is in red. The second is gold. Third is white. But then the top only displays two scores, which are the current scores for players one and two. And those are in red and gold. And below that... It has LV and R. And it took me a while to even figure out what those were. Because I was like, okay, which one is is it? And it turns out LV is the level you're on. And I thought R was like the round for the level. But it's the number of rabbits you have remaining. And it I really see. shouldn't have taken me that long to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that the bird flying through stuff that it shouldn't be able to fly through. And I was mentioning falling off a platform. It's like if you jump off a platform and and you've misjudged and you've, you've – you don't have you got too many pixels between you and the, what you were intending for, so now he falls. But then he falls through all the platforms below him. There's no like falling just to the next one splatting. Suddenly he goes all the way through them. Yeah, which so. I found weird. In fact, I thought it was a bug when it first happened. Yeah, and and I kind of thought that maybe some of this stuff was bugs, but I couldn't really find any other any evidence. Like you know, it wasn't glitchy or anything. It's bad. It was a bugged bunny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where's my butt? <laughs> that that you just did it. <laughs> so, do you know much about Orca, the company that that made this? I know very little. I, I briefly did a search, uh, a Google search, and if you just type in Orca Corporation, apparently there are thousands of companies named Orca Corporation. They're all named after the the whale. I, I would assume that even kind of messed me up on the on the splash screen, not knowing what this game was about at first, like the. First time I've ever played this game was for this week, and so I launch it, and then the it's it says the the Springer logo, which is this orange and blue stripe, and then it says insert coin below that, and then below that is just like this green dolphin above the copyright notice. And I thought, oh, okay, it's it's a dolphin game, but I guess that's no, that's actually the Orca logo. <laughs> I was just so <laughs> unfamiliar with this company, I didn't know that that was the logo. So at first I was like, dolphin game, no bunny in clouds game, what? <laughs> so. Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't really know much about Orca either. I read up on it this week because I knew I wouldn't have that much to say about the game. So I thought, well, maybe it's got an interesting company, <laughs> and it kind of is. They they didn't put out a lot of games. They only made arcade games between eighty one and eighty three. It looks like, and they had planned a port of one of the games, this Skylancer game, 
was going to get ported to the Atari 2600, but it got canceled. I think this game we're currently playing got ported to 2600 by by a different company, maybe. I don't really know much about that. Apparently, the, the, the Atari 2600 cart is somewhat rare and sells for around $50 used, which seems really high for a bad game. Um, I, I also found, and this is an interesting website, it's called pricecharting.com. They have like prices, for example, they have prices for Springer and they've tracked this thing back to October of 2009. And, you know, for, and there's a little uh, graph across the top of my screen as I'm looking at it. And in January of 2010, this thing was selling for more than $400. And then in April of 2010, it dropped down to, to, uh, looks like somewhere between zero and $200. And, and, you know, it spiked up interesting website and, and kind of neat to see weird things like that tracked over time. So, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but yeah, it's, it's, it was only ported as far as I know to the 2600 by, and I thought, I thought it was a company called Nicole publishing, but you said it was somebody else. Well, I found flyers for this game, um, one by Orca and one by, uh, by this Nicole manufacturing, but that flyer it's, I think it's for the arcade version. It doesn't show an arcade cabinet, which normally is a tip-off that it's not about the arcade game. Because usually on an arcade flyer, it shows a picture of the cabinet because that's what they're trying to sell. But mm-hmm. I couldn't find any information about this Nicole Manufacturing. They don't exist anymore. They're like not on Google. We were talking off mic before the show that it, there's so many of these companies sprung up to manufacture and distribute arcade games. And they they were just like spring into existence, live for a year, and go bankrupt to like so many times. And there's so little info about a lot of them. So the Nicole Manufacturing Flyer for Springer, though, I think is for the arcade game because it shows screenshots. And the screenshots are definitely of the arcade version instead of the Atari 2600 version. And it even has the slogan, just one of the many exciting games you can get with the video system of the future. And I think that's not referring to the Atari 2600, or they would have said that. I think it's because the Orca system's um, they really only had the one cab, and they designed it so that you could relatively easily swap between games. It was one of those ones where it was really doing that push, where you buy one game, and then six months later you can relatively cheaply have a different game, and so keep the money keep the money coming. Um, so I think that's what Nicole was doing for this. There's also a flyer by a, another company as well called um, Oh, you know, I don't even know, and it's and it's it's the it's the weirdest most druggy version of the flyer too it's like <laughs> it's right out there so it's a, it's actually a company called direct connections inc it turns out and and it's it's a very weird flyer in that the the one side of it is very very boring it shows almost nothing it shows the springer arcade game like the actual cabinet um and it's a cabinet with no side art just like a generic brown cabinet and that's one of the two different springers i've seen and on this it just shows the springer with a totally different logo it's like they made their own bezel art because it's not the springer logo it's not the color it's not anything to do with the actual arcade graphics it's weird and has the slogan hop step and jump to the sun which was the slogan used on the other flyers but in on the bottom in quotes it said all our games are convertible for future new games so they also were doing that push um, but I think, again, that Direct Connections was just a, a small company that was doing distribution. They probably – they were in Eagle Rock, California, and the other one was in, I think, Pennsylvania. So I think they probably had uh, had territories they were based in. Okay, now I, I just found a, a fold-out, like probably a magazine fold-out for a company called Tiger Vision, which has a copy of Springer. It looks like with the rabbit and the sun on the top. 
and they had copies available. Yeah, uh, Springer Trademark uh, or- Orchid Corporation available for the Atari 2600, the TI-99, the Atari 800, 600, and there's a fold there. I can't see the other one. And the Commodore VIC-20. So, Yeah, I think, I think Tiger Vision is the ones who, who, who uh, did the Atari 2600 version. They definitely did. I've, there's a manual for the Tiger Vision version on um, archive.org, and that's mm. for the Atari 2600. What about the actual Orca cabinet? Dull, because it was <laughs> the Orca themselves, when they manufactured a cabinet, they, they did both um, cocktail and what they called an upright, but really it was barely larger than a normal, um, I, I would consider it a cabaret cabinet. And it seems to be fairly generic, and it also seems that the way they worked in North America is they had local distribution companies that would have their own generic cabinet. So Orca would design the game, and then the local distributor would actually be building it and distributing it. So it wasn't being built by Orca in Japan. It was being built locally, which I think how a lot of these things went. But that means, because they were working with these smaller companies, that depending on where you were in America, you would get a different version of the cabinet. There's at least two. And I think like one might have been the, the one distributor, and one is the other. And they're just putting it in their own generic cabinet. The point of it was supposed to be, it's relatively generic. You get bezel. You get a, you get a, a different... Um, uh, control panel, but then you can swap out the games kind of cheaply because it's this two-part... And this is a weird thing. The, the the PCB that comes with the Orca games is always a two-part PCB. And so at first I thought, aha, Mr. Smarty Carrington's figured it out because it'll be that the one part of the PCB, like there's a top and a bottom, and and the top part, which is the smaller bit, has the Z80. In fact, they only they used a Z80 derivative. I don't think they used a real Z80. And it's got the, um, the AY38910, like the sound bit, and so that's the the top part. And then the bottom part, I figured, aha, has got all the EPROMs. Or, and yeah, in fact, they used EPROMs rather than even PROMs. That's how quickly they were knocking these things out. And um, so I figured, oh, that's how they're doing this. You'll just have to change the one part of the board. That's how they're saving money. But as far as I can tell, the EPROMs, look, looking at the board, of the nine EPROMs that are normally on an Orca board, Five of them, the first five go on the top board, and like so, number one through five, and, and so six through nine go on the bottom board. So unless they were actually just distributing the ROM chips, and maybe that's why the EuroProms, and you'd pull them out and you'd put new chips in, and that's how the distribution went. Otherwise, I don't see how they were actually saving money by doing it that way. It's kind of weird. You know what's also kind of weird is right now, on talking about you know buying stuff on eBay at the moment as we record this, there is an auction for an original Springer monitor bezel. What they're calling a bezel shroud, so the be- the art, the glass in the art that goes around the uh, the monitor for fifty dollars currently on eBay. There's an original Springer marquee for twenty bucks. Buy it now on eBay, and there's a new old stock version of the PCB on eBay for three hundred. Mm-hmm. And there's three different sellers. They got nothing to do with each other. It's just for <laughs> some reason Springer's in the air. It's it's so strange. And that's our review, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the reality is, it's a it's a generic game in a generic cabinet. And it's not that fun. So there's only so much you can say about it. The Orca company itself has an interesting history. Like we were talking about earlier, it, they made games only for a couple of years, and then they went they went under. And it was essentially a three-person company. That was it. Like Orca was these three guys. That was the whole company. And so they went bankrupt in 1983. And the next year, the same dev team of three guys started a new company. And depending on where you read about it, it was either called Clax, C-L-A-X, or Crux, C-R-U-X. Um, and there's about an even number of sites saying it was one or the other, and I couldn't find a definitive place. And that company was around for just the one year, made two games, uh, 
in fact, most company, most sites will say they made one game, this this shooter called Gyrodyne. But as far as I can tell, they also made the game Repulse that was actually released by Sega. But it was these three guys in that Klax or Crux company made the Repulse game for Sega. And then they went bankrupt again. So they had about a nine-month run there. <laughs> so then they got, this, they got hired again from a company called Toa Kikaku. Kikaku? I don't know. Toa Kikaku. And so they basically got hired to become the, the arcade development unit within that company. And then that development unit on, on its own, eventually it, it was called like the, I think Toa Kikaku means like something plan or something. And so then they became Toa Plan, which was the development unit inside there. They made lots of scrolling shooters. They And they started out as being basically a subcontractor for like Taito, they put out Tiger Heli and a whole bunch of games were these guys. And then Toa Plan became its own development company and the, and it's and got spun off and became its own company and stopped being a subcontractor. And I guess then they had this like 10-year run where they put out a crazy huge number of of shooters and they became very very famous as like one of the the great go-to companies for putting out big um shoot 'em ups. So lots and lots and lots of shoot 'em ups are from these three guys who originally were pumping out garbage like this game. <laughs> and then unfortunately Toa Plan went bankrupt again in 1994. And it was kind of weird because it was at the top of his game and doing really, really amazing. And then out of nowhere it went bankrupt. It seems kind of weird. And it might have been just to get out of contracts or something. So there's probably a story in how that happened. And then there was, of course, more people working in the company now, but the original three were still there and plus a bunch of other people. And then they got distributed into four other companies. Most of them went to a company called Cave, but then there was also Aiting, spelled a, the digit eight and then ing, a company called Gazelle, which is now closed, and a company called um, Takumi. And so Cave, Aiting, and Takumi are still around. They're all known for these manic shoot 'em ups, um, except Gazelle, which the one that went under only had the one crazy hard shoot 'em up, and then did a, a Sailor Moon beat 'em up game, and it went under. So anyway, the whole thing is very weird. And so these guys who did this are all still in development. They had this very long run in the '90s, where they're famous for shoot 'em ups. Most of them are still in arcade development, but they kind of went on to other things. But they all got their start at Orca and doing games like Springer. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you know, maybe it may be just that, that we're looking at video games and, you know, if you didn't have a big hit, you didn't have a long life. But it seems like, and, and I don't know if it's still this way now, that the, the Japanese were a lot less, or they were a lot more fluid with their their corporate holdings and, and what company parts went where and names and things like that here in the States. Anyway, you know, generally you have, you would have like a parent, big parent company and, and that name wouldn't change. And um, it's fairly easy. Well, it seems to be easier to trace the history of a lot of these American companies than the Japanese ones, which just seem to go all over the place. And, you know, and, and so it's just like this big vat of, of arcade companies that all stewed together into this disgusting game that, that came out that we we played for you this week so you don't have to <laughs> took one for the team it really is i mean there's really not a lot to recommend this game unfortunately it's, it's it's kind of unfortunate you know you win some you lose some and this is a game which just it didn't maybe maybe other people are gonna write in and say that they actually enjoy playing this game but for me 
I didn't really dig the sound. I didn't like the graphics. I thought the gameplay was slipshod. I didn't like the metaphor. There's there's just like nothing here. There's one of those games where you would be in a mall or you'd be at a laundromat in the 80s and there'd be no other games there that you would know. There'd be nothing that you like. And you're a kid and you get a quarter and so this is the arcade game and it would be there. You'd play it. It would be crappy. It would be forgettable. It would, you'd move on. And now somehow in the year 2014, we've just spent a half an hour talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and we're all poor for the experience. We definitely lost on this one. Carrington, did you lose to me this week? Almost certainly. And guess who doesn't care? (laughs) So (laughs) my score wasn't great. I did better than I thought I would because, you know, it was the game we were playing. So why Mm. not? And I I get obstinate. So I keep playing at it. I made it to level eight was the highest I ever got. Usually I would get to level four or five. Mostly my high score was 54,500. Um, and I got another couple of scores that were sort of in that range. For the most part, I would do about half that. But yeah, 54,500 was my, my best for the week. What about you, Mike? I played this game three times. Okay. Um, and you got 200,000. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and you finished and it. And you and Michael Jackson and, are amazing uh, at it. <laughs> I got to um, about halfway through the second level every time. And, Side of this game was crap and moved on to other things. Uh, I scored a, a grand 12,300 points. Um, and like you, I don't care. However, both of us apparently set world records because Champau has the world record listed as 10,900 points set by Alan Houston. So there's no way because us. it's actually not that hard to get over 10,000. Like you can get that on the first level. If you get pick up three carrots, you can get over that. If you get lucky and get the right fruit on the screen. It just means that, that people were embarrassed to submit their score. <laughs> Nobody cares. But, I mean, it, you could right now buy the Marquee, the Bezel Shroud, the, the PCB. So you could assemble your own game right now for a total of $350 on eBay. eBay prices will buy you this game for 350 And I'm telling you now, you could easily set a world record on this. You will feel dirty doing it. But it is something you could do. Another way you could go, I guess I should mention before we go on to next week's game. And we talked about this company before, um, Cambridge arcade repair professionals carp um and we've i can't remember what it was we linked to them but something about some sort of jammer adapter they make an orca to jammer adapter jamma jammer (laughs) to jamma adapter as well so it's 35 dollars and what it does is let you plug in pretty much any orca board they have these 22 pin boards and you can plug in the Orca PCB into any standard JAMA cabinet. So um, if you didn't want to have a dedicated cabinet for this, but you like playing games on the real cabinets, which I like as well, the nice thing with the Cambridge Arcade Repair Professionals is it lets you um, just use an adapter to temporarily move a dis- different PCB into a JAMA cabinet without you know messing things and doing it in a way that you can put everything back. So that's kind of cool. It specifically says, it, it's kind of weird in the way it says this. It says supported games include Bounty, Changes, Kong Gorilla, Crazy Kong, Looper, Marine Boy, Skylancer, Springer, Zodiac, and others. But then it also says many of these boards are rare and the pinouts are unconfirmed. So please send a high-resolution board picture with your order. So I don't think they've actually tested on most of these boards. I think <laughs> they just figure it'll probably work and... First time somebody orders one, they'll, they'll work it out. Odd, odd, odd. Mm. Yeah, that, that poster um, from the distributor, it looks like the, the cabinet that they used wasn't even – I mean, it had been converted from something else because it looks like the number of buttons is wrong. Nice, nice catch. So, so I mean, that's how cheap this thing was. I think it was almost certainly sold mostly as a kit because it wasn't the first Orchid game, so it would have been something – Though Springer is one of the few games they did sell as a complete unit. You could purchase Springer 
as like your first Orca game if you had wanted to. Other games that they sold only came as as the conversion kit. Springer came both as a kit and as a dedicated cabinet. It just it just strikes me as interesting that that <clears throat> this game is so generic that even the companies that made and distributed it didn't care enough to gussy up the the, the advertising picture for the poster with the right you know with something like that even had the right number of buttons. I think that's just the way arcading went back then. Like if you weren't a, a Namco, if you weren't a Pac-Man thing, you were sort of the the cheaper alternatives. And I think people were looking for those. And so, and unfortunately, I think this also contributed to you know a lot of problems arcades had you know around that era. Well, maybe next ga- next week's game won't be so cheap. <laughs> Can't possibly be so cheap. <laughs> What's it sound like? Here you go. And that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. About time. No kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Carrington. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>